Welcome. We are so glad you've joined us today. Are you ready for another Bayside Christian Church podcast? Let's get straight into it. I want to share, um, you can stay there for two seconds if you want. Um, something's been happening the last week and a half, a couple of weeks, and um, to Emma and I and a few other people that about a week and a half ago, Emma just had this sudden urge to um, grab a CD that um, was, because uh, we'd both um, experienced like the, la- like the last move of God that I, the true move of God that I've been in is probably the Brownsville revival and things spilled into Australia and different things and, and, uh, and there was like an overflow happening and out of that was mit- written many songs and many books and many things and so she had this urge to grab, the, we still own it, the CD of all this live recording of these songs and she just couldn't stop playing it over and over and over again and at the same time I got the same urge to grab, there was about five or six books that I owned that were written in the midst of revival and uh, one of them sitting on the front seat there, and um, and I was and I um, and I grabbed that and I read. I got to four pages of that book in the first chapter, and God's. God, I read one story, and He gave me a whole message I'm going to share tonight, and that's as far as I've got so far in that book. Um, and then at the same time. Kieran rang a friend um, who was around here at the same time and down, down the Sunshine Coast and rang her and chatted and started saying, oh, yeah, I've had this urge, you know, like, go back and listen to these songs. She goes, you're kidding me. She goes, just this week, I've been, I've been grabbing all this stuff from back then and been listening to it as well. And then other people said the same. So it's like, and then, so I'm thinking, what's happening? And then this afternoon, I was thinking about that and praying about that. And I feel God has given me this word to share with all of you. And this is what I feel God's saying. There's a calling back to be reminded of what God has done so that the next generation can be led into what God is about to do. The people that have seen it will lead others into what He is about to do. Because there's a whole generation where there's people that I know you're sitting in this room and you've experienced God, but but I've, I've seen God outpour His Spirit on a greater level than you have ever seen. And I'm not trying to say that to, to, um, to say that to, to put you down or anything like that, but I've just seen God do things. And there's people that before me, that you're sitting here, that are older, used to other in the 70s and different things, where God do amazing things that I wasn't there then. But there's, there's, and God never does the same thing, but there's something He's about to do that you're going to walk into that's even going to be greater again. And so, and so people that have seen it will lead others into it. God is beginning to prepare us for a fresh move of God that is about to hit our nation. God is the one who brings revival and awakens people. God does it. We can't make that happen. We don't do it, but God does. But much is dependent on us as to how soon that happens. I believe God is bringing things to the surface in people's lives. And I'm talking about people in this room. I'm talking about us as a church. I'm talking about churches in our nation, in our region, that God is bringing things in our lives, personal things to the surface in our lives so that they can be dealt with, so they can be healed, so they can be removed. Things that we don't need, things we think are important, He's going to bring us things that we've wrestled with, things that have held us back. He's going to, even right now in people's lives, He's bringing it to the surface in your life and things are coming up and you're going, what's, what? and then I, and you're having to deal with some stuff and it's, God is allowing that to happen so that He can heal you, remove that thing out of your life because He's preparing you for what He's about to do. 
I believe God is calling us to make more time to pray for our city and nation. Your life will be prepared as as, as, as much time you've given to prayer. So I believe God is calling you to personally pray more than you are. And as a church, to just make more room for prayer to God, personal prayer. And in the midst of that, He's going to prepare your heart and you're going to draw closer to God and He's going to begin to prepare you for what He's about to do. He's going to enlarge your capacity. Our willingness to repent of sin, allowing healing to take place in our lives and being obedient to God are keys to God releasing a fresh wind and fire of His Spirit over our city and nation. I'm going to read that again. Our willingness to repent of sin, allowing healing to take place in our lives and being obedient to God are keys to God releasing a fresh wind and fire of His Spirit over our city and our nation. No place will be left untouched. This is what I really, when I saw this, I'm like, churches won't hold the people. They won't be big enough. Ovals will be full. Public places will see a visitation of the power and presence of God. Shopping centres, streets, public places, schools. Whether they like it or not, God will show up in power. God does that. But it's dependent on us if we're willing to be ones that can carry it. Because God, He can't give you, He can't move in such a way unless we're able to carry that weight of power. It's like a whole other level of His glory. And if you're not prepared, it'll blow you apart. It'll, It'll knock you over. But He prepares us individually and as a church so that we can carry it out of the church to our city and to our neighbor. and you and it won't be hard you'll do, it'll just be on your life and you'll carry it and you'll speak to people and the power of God will be released as you speak I remember I came back from overseas and it was a week I was in what they was called Brownsville Revival to church and I came back and, and God I'd counted God but I just didn't know like what was being put on my life and I walked back into a the very I'd flown back within 24 hours we had this youth meeting and I walked in to the meeting and I started talking to someone as I spoke the power of God hit them and they went flying backwards onto the floor and I didn't I wasn't praying for them I was having a conversation and I suddenly realized and they just went whoa what was that and I said I don't know and I suddenly realized that God had it's like being in his presence soaking in his glory bringing the anointing of God to another level had suddenly like been it was just on me and I was like going what do I do with this you know it's like what what happened and for the next months or whatever it was just like this like tangible presence of God and I just believe that that's what God is going to do but he wants to prepare us so thinking along those lines tonight, I want to share a few things. I want to share a story shortly that I read in that book that is pretty impacting. But before we get to that, I just want to share a couple of thoughts. Thanks, team. You can, um, I won't make you stand there all night, but thanks for, you did an awesome job. I know you would stay there all night, but um, it's all good. So tonight I want to talk to you about being comfortably uncomfortable. Being comfortably uncomfortable. God is, does things that makes us uncomfortable. 
And uh, we have to learn to be comfortable with God's uncomfortable things that He brings. He, to Him it's normal, but to us it can be uncomfortable. God is supernatural. So when God is present, you should expect that things beyond what we call natural should happen. And so in other words, when, when Jesus was around, the supernatural things happened. The things that, you know, things were one way, but when Jesus showed up, the natural things just suddenly, everything changed. And so you would expect that if God is a supernatural God, that if God was, say, God's presence is here and everything just sort of stayed the same and nothing changed, you think, well, is he, is he really here? If God's a supernatural God, then we should expect to see some supernatural things happening. Everyone agrees with that. And so when Jesus showed up, the supernatural was present. So things like, things like this, imagine, imagine you put this into everyday terms, imagine up the street today, Jesus is speaking to people, Jesus spat in some dirt and made some clay out of it and put it in a blind man's eyes and told him to wash his eyes and when he did it, he could see. Now that is not a normal thing to do. Like in the natural, you don't, I guess if you're five years old and have a bit of fun with mud flights, you might do that and go, hey, you're spitting this and this is fun. Let me throw it in your eyes. But it's, but Jesus, I want to, it's a blind man. So let's just, they're like, what's he throwing? What, is he going to embarrass the guy even more? Just make it really evident that he's, he's, he's blind and he's just highlighting the fact by shoving some mud in his eyes or what's Jesus doing? And so it wasn't a normal thing to do, but Jesus, he said, wash your eyes. And the guy was completely healed. He spoke to dead bodies and they came back to life. He just told them to come back to life and they did. That's supernatural. It's not a natural thing. It's a supernatural thing. He touched sick bodies and they were made well. He, people that were sick with disease, lepers that said you can't touch lepers, he just touched lepers and they were completely healed because the power he carried was greater than any sickness or any disease on the earth. And so his authority was greater and his power was greater than any disease. And when he, whatever he touched, what the presence of God touched was healed and made whole. He held out his hand to crippled people and the power of God touched their lifeless legs and they could now walk. Jesus spoke to and had conversations with demons that possessed people. I mean, just think about that. You're walking down the street and someone's, you know, obviously got some, they're being tormented by stuff. And Jesus wasn't talking to the person. He's having a conversation with the demon. And it didn't happen all the time, but the conversation was also very short because the demon was petrified. How many demons are petrified of you? It depends on what you carry. It depends if they realize that you carry authority. It depends on if they realize that you who you belong to. Because if you belong to Jesus, they'll be petrified of you. If you don't, they'll be you'll be intimidated by them. And so... Jesus just has brief conversations with demons and just basically told most of them just to get out and they had to go. And they begged him, begged him, don't, please don't send us into the abyss. Don't send us in the fiery pits of hell. Don't send us there. Demons don't want to go there. So who, why would we want people to go there? And so they were begging Jesus to not go to that place. Send us into some pigs. They were begging him. Please, please. He didn't, he just walked up. He didn't have to say a word. They spoke first and said, what they basically said, Jesus, what are you doing here? They knew who he was. 
they sense his authority. And so supernatural things just happened and he spoke to people possessed with demons and the demons fled and the people were completely normal, completely healed, completely set free. These things weren't one-offs. They were daily, they were weekly and thousands and thousands of people were healed and set free. The Bible says there were so many miracles that the, there wasn't enough books. You couldn't contain enough words to write down all the miracles and things to make account of all the healings that happened. And so when, if God is a supernatural God, we should expect the supernatural to happen. Now our church, and when I, I'm going to make some comments about church, and when I'm talking about church, I'm not meaning our church, I'm talking church in general. Our church, we've seen miracles happen. We, we've seen people healed. Every time someone gives their life and surrenders their life to Jesus, that is the most amazing and greatest miracle. Someone coming out of death into life, and uh, they, were, they never were forgiven, but now they're forgiven. They come out of darkness into light. That's the greatest miracle. It's greater than someone coming back to life. It's greater than someone, you know, being healed, a cripple being healed, or disease being healed, because they've found salvation. they found eternal life. So that's the greatest miracle. And so there's a, but there's a, there's even a greater level. We're seeing that, but there's so much more we are yet to see. There's so much more we're yet to see. I think our world expects the church to be supernatural, but they get disappointed when they walk into many churches and it's no different to a club. It's a nice building with nice music and friendly people, but has no power. And I, I, I've been in churches like that, where it's lovely, it's great and all that, but there's no power. No one's getting saved. No one's being prayed for for healing. And so they're just going through maybe religious motions or whatever it may be. But I think a world, if, they, if we say that God is supernatural, when they, if they walk into a church... They're expecting to see some supernatural things to take place. They're expecting it to be different. If it's not different, then we, then we can just, there may as well just be a club down the road. We may as well be the RSL with the guest artist playing some guitar and great background music and, and some great food and fellowship and all the rest of it. And if people come in into a church and they're sort of expecting that, they don't see any power or anything, any difference, they're just going to go, oh, well, I may as well just go to, down the road because it's, oh, it's the same thing down there. How sad that is. If people to walk into a church like that, expecting something but not seeing it. And I thank God that, well, I know that our church is hungry. And this is not just ours, but many churches aren't like that. But they just are hungry for the power of God and believing that God is going to do more than He's even doing in their, in their midst. Our nation isn't going to change with nice churches. Our nation will be shaken with churches that flow with the supernatural power of the Holy Spirit where signs and wonders and miraculous healings are normal, where the gospel is preached with unconditional love and grace, and where Jesus is praised and lifted up above all else. I can remember years ago, my sister, when she was a teenager, and she was about 13 years old, um, came, ended up having an eating disorder uh, that was caused by being severely bullied at school. And, uh, and for three or four years, she... Um, almost didn't ever go out of the house and uh, was very sick, very unwell. Um, I remember we went to doctors and they went to specialists and psychologists in Brisbane and, every, and all these places and she never ever got better. And she was, and she, because of the eating disorder, she was getting very sick. And so all these, you know, all this stuff's going to happen. I can remember um, at night uh, laying in bed and hearing her crying herself to sleep all night long 
night after night after night for not just a week or two weeks, but for months. And so that's where she was at. And so all this stuff. And then finally, after the while, she got some, there were some um, other girls in this church that, you know, sort of would hang out with her and come and visit her and just stay at the house with her. And eventually she went out a few times. And then we used to run, and Troy was there. Where's Troy? And Aaron, if you're here. And uh, we used to, we did these nights down in Don's garage. And uh, Don was a guitarist here at church, Tohinga, and uh, he owned a panel beating shop. And so on Saturday nights, every so often, we just clear out the shop, set up a band in the entrance of the shop into a concrete thing, and we just f- crank everything up in the middle at uh, Urangan. I don't know what the neighbors thought. We didn't really care. And, uh, and it was about 40 of us there, youth and stuff, and we would just play and we worship God for two or three hours. And then someone would speak or whatever, and the power of God would show up, like really show up. And, uh, and my sister came to one of these nights and she walked out and the power of God hit her that night, laid her on her back and she was completely set free in one night. And what, whatever, whatever it was that was upon her suddenly left. Her face, she got up and her face was different. She started just eating normally, started going out with, with the youth and hanging out and, and just in a matter of months was just totally a different person, totally back to normal. She'd been tried every, we'd, you know, been everywhere, tried everything. She'd been prayed for at times and people were praying for her and all that kind of stuff. But it was, it was an encounter with God in that one moment where God's power showed up. And I'll tell you, there's people in our city that they can go to all the, med- the doctors and they get all this stuff and the doctors do a fantastic job. And there's people that are with mental health issues and there's people with all these issues going on. But what they need is a supernatural power of the Holy Spirit. They need an encounter with God. And that's the only thing that's going to set them free. And our nation needs that because when that is happens, it, it's going to sweep across our nation and thousands of people are going to be set free from stuff that is not, it's not just natural stuff, there's supernatural stuff upon their lives and only the power of God can break it off their lives. And now my sister is married, she lives in America, has five kids, completely wouldn't even know that's even happened in her life because God is, she's going on for God doing great things and so... You wouldn't even know that has happened. When Jesus walked the earth, his greatest opposition wasn't the devil. It was actually religious leaders. If you read the Bible, the demons weren't a problem because they were scared of him. And uh, everyone that encountered Jesus took off and fled and didn't come back. The religious leaders, he'd speak to them. They always kept coming back. They were more annoying than a demon. And so... And so his biggest, issue, his biggest problem was them. They would keep coming back, religious leaders. They, they didn't like Jesus. They didn't like what he was doing. They'd, because over time, they had put God into a box. They had created um, over 600 new laws, you know, not the Old Testament. They've added to them 600 laws. They'd put controls around the people. They'd put controls around God. And so you've got to do this, you've got to do that. And it's like they put God into a box. And when Jesus came, he smashed open the box. And he didn't do it the way that he was meant to. He didn't do it the way that they wanted him to, according to their rules and the way they thought, they, you're doing that wrong, you're doing that wrong. And so when Jesus showed up, they got very uncomfortable because Jesus did things that made them uncomfortable. What was normal to God was uncomfortable with people who were living with a religious spirit. And anyone with a religious church or anybody with a religious spirit will be uncomfortable when God shows up in power and they'll say it's of the devil 
It's weird. It's wacky. That can't be of God. And then, and that's exactly what they said about Jesus. This Jesus, he's doing this by the power of Bezalbubba, the head demon. And then he's setting these demon people free from demons by another demon. And all this stuff, they're trying to get their heads around. They're coming, all this stuff. He's, he's not, it's not God, it's something else. And so they felt very uncomfortable around Jesus because he didn't do it the way they had. Because they put God in a box. And the most dangerous thing you can do and I can do is put God in a box. Or put God into a formula. Or put God, if you do this, if you live like this and do that exactly. And pray this way and pray this prayer at this time. At this time of the day when the sun's just rising above that third tree on the left. If you do that... Then, then you'll get healed, or then you'll, and God will just go. No, I'm not going to do it that way today. I'll do it a different way. And so, it's nothing about religious formulas. It's nothing about doing it a certain way. It's all about relationship. It's all about relate. Jesus just said you got you got to know God, and He's come to reveal the Father, and He would go away and spend time with God and and reveal God. He said you've had to know Him personally. You wanted to draw people to God personally, to know them personally, and He had a personal. He was personal with people. He said, if you've seen Me, you've seen the Father. He said this. If this is how God is, He wants to be face to face. He wants to talk to you every day, just the way I'm talking with you. I just want you just just you can spend time with Me every day, Peter, James, and John, all the disciples, and God. God wants to be exactly the same with you. He's not, he's not in a distance. You don't have to try and work your way and earn your way to God. He's right here. He's right here. Nothing's changed. It's still the same today. And so they tried to put him in a box. And control will always lead to someone being religious. Anytime someone wants to control something, it will always lead to religion. So someone that's a religious, you know, about rules and regulations is because they want control. And God hates control. God doesn't want us. The only one that's in control should be Him. And we should be under His control. If you're under control, you need to be under someone else's control. We need to be under God's control. God, whatever you want, I will do. It's not my way, but your way. Jesus came and broke the box. He broke their rules, made them uncomfortable. And when it comes to the supernatural, what is uncomfortable, like I said before, what is uncomfortable for us is usually very comfortable for God. And so here I think God just sometimes deliberately does things different and He'll just miraculously heal someone in a different way or do someone that people go, what was that? How did that, can, could, could God do that? And God deliberately do it just to get us out of our comfort zone, to get us out of our religious mindset or thinking that, oh, no, it has to be done this way. And God will say, no, I'll show you. you can do it many ways, actually. And so he'll just cha- change things around just to make sure that we don't get comfortable with, with a certain way or a certain formula. He's okay with us being uncomfortable. We get uncomfortable because we can't control what God might do and we don't know what God will do. And the moment we want to, you think, oh, I need to, church needs to be a certain way or this needs to be a certain way or if this is not right, well, I can't worship God. Well, you're getting a bit religious. Because God will do what he wants to do. It doesn't mean people should, you know, the other extreme is people go weird and wacky. That's not right either. They go off, going in la-la land and go, hey, no, that is a bit weird. And so it's not like that, but it's still, but it's, to, it's being surrendered to God, allowing God to do what he wants to do. I remember 
um, talking about that. I remember driving home in 1995. I'd finished year 12, and instead of going on, well, if they had, I think they had schoolies then, I don't know, but instead of celebrating schoolies, I went to the state AOG conference in Brisbane with uh, Rodney Howard Brown, and I went down there with a friend of mine, Dale, who's on the Sunshine Coast now, and uh, the power of God showed up for that week. And, um, and I can remember driving out of there one night, Dale was driving, and, um, and there was, <laughs> there was um, police pulling up cars doing breathalysers. And, um, and the problem was the power of God was overflowing out of the meeting. And, so, and what was going on, that people were just uncontrollably touched by the power of God and laughing and couldn't stop. And so, so they're pulling people up out of, out of Boondall. There's 10,000 people coming out. And, they, and, they, and the police are going, oh, these people have had too much to drink, you know. And so they pull them up breathalyzing and it's all zero. And they're like... And they're like, you know, what's going on? And so, and they're like, oh, we've been into meetings. And they're like, don't worry, it's just God. God's touching them. And they're like, these police are going, oh, righty, I can just move on. And, and, um, and, so, and so by the time we get there, d- d- it was pretty funny. And so we arrive and we pull up and this police, we put it out the window. And, and Dale was all right. He, he'd been laughing, but he out of control. I was sort of okay. And all of a sudden, as he's about, he walks down the window, he's about to speak to the police, the power of God just hits him and he just bursts out laughing. And I've gone, oh, no. Like, that's t- totally bad timing, Dale. And so, and so I'm like 18 years old and, this, and, and, and the policeman just looks at him and goes, just move on. I know it's the meeting. And it's like... And it's like, by that time, it happened so many times. And so, and don't ask me, but why, you know, and it's like, it's not about, you know, why did God do that or whatever. But I tell you that people were laughing on the outside, but God was doing something incredible on the inside. And Dale got so set free in that week. All this stuff in his life. And I can remember he was so free. And that was just an outward manifestation of what God was doing on the inside. And now he's running an incredible center down on the Sunshine Coast, still a pastor, doing incredible things. And he would look back at that time and go, that, I met God there. And God spoke to him about so many things. And so don't begin. Other times that doesn't happen. Other times, you know, in the 70s, the charismatic movement, when people started clapping in church and started dancing, people thought, that's weird. You can't do that. That's that. And some people say, that's of the devil. You don't dance in church. You can't clap in church. And then the power of God hits in places and then people fell over and they're like, no way. No, no. And so it's true. And so in, 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 main, in Catholic churches, in Anglican churches, you know, in these places, the power of God was just showing up and they started speaking in tongues and the power of God's coming. Pentecostal churches, people started falling over, which wasn't happening that much before that. And, and they're like, well, this can't be of God. But now we look at the church and that's very normal. We're doing it tonight. You know, it's very normal. So, but that's what God did then. So when God shows up and does something that you're not used to, don't write it off. Don't get all uncomfortable. May just think about it. God, if this is you, then that person's going to be radically changed. God, I'm comfortable with the uncomfortable. God, sometimes you just want to do things in a new way. Now, before I share this story out of this book with you tonight, I just want to just give some background, which will put the thing in perspective. There's a story in the Bible about a, a judge of Israel called Eli. And uh, Eli was a judge for about 40 years, had two sons who were, um, who were priests of Israel. And the both sons were very wicked. And they disobeyed God. Um, 
and you know they did terrible things. There's a whole list of things they did were absolutely terrible. They disrespected God, disrespected people. Um, ate the as people gave the offerings, they would say, "I'll take that," and they took the offering. Just all this stuff in the Old Testament you weren't meant to do. And so because they'd done that, and Eli, who was the judge, he was their father. He um. You know, he basically didn't pull his sons up enough, said she shouldn't be doing that, but he basically favoured his sons over honouring God. And so for many, many years, and because he did that, it's like God stepped back and, and caused God to step back from the people of Israel and because their lead, those in leadership positions were actually dishonouring God, which, filled, which represented the people, so filtered down through the whole people. Not every person was doing wicked things, but the people that represented God, who should have been leading the people, were doing wicked things. So God had taken a step back because they were disrespecting God. And so then in 1 Samuel 4, 2 to 22, I just want to read this account. This will put this into perspective. And at the last bit, I want you to take note of that. Then I'm going to read you this story. At that time, Israel was at war with the Philistines. The Philistines attacked and defeated the army of Israel, killing 4,000 men. They were winning because God had taken a step back. They were fighting without God. And so after the battle was over, the troops retreated to their camp and the elders of Israel said, Why did the Lord allow us to be defeated by the Philistines? They said, Let's bring the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord from Shiloh. It will carry, uh, we'll carry that into battle with us. It will save us from our enemies. So they sent men to Shiloh to bring the Ark of the covenant and the and the Lord of heaven's armies who are enthroned between the cherubim and so the ark of the covenant represented the presence of God okay and it did but God because of the disobedience was still had still taken a back seat and it's like oh well you need to repent of all your wickedness and all your sin before I'm going to help you and no one did so and then it says that uh, Hophni and Phineas, which are Eli's sons, the sons of Eli, were all, which are the priests, were also there with the Ark of the Covenant of God. When all the Israelites saw the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord coming into the camp, their shout of joy was so loud it made the ground shake. What's going on, the Philistines asked. What's all the shouting about in the Hebrew camp? When they were told it was because the ark of the Lord had arrived, they panicked. The gods have come into their camp, they cried. This is a disaster. We've never had to face anything like this before. Help! Who can save us from these mighty gods of Israel? They are the same gods who destroyed the Egyptians and plagues when Israel was in the wilderness. Uh, fight as never before Philistines if you don't we will become the Hebrew slaves just as they have been ours so when you know they were saying God it was obviously one God but in their minds they just talked in gods because they worshipped many gods so uh, if you don't we will become the Hebrew slaves just as they were our slaves stand up like men and fight so the Philistines fought desperately and Israel was defeated again the slaughter was so great, 30,000 Israelite soldiers died that day. The survivors turned and fled for their tents. The ark of God was captured and Hophni and Phinehas, the two sons of Eli, were killed. A man from the tribe of Benjamin ran from the battlefield and arrived at Shiloh later that same day. He had torn his clothes and had put dust on his head to show his grief. Eli was waiting beside the road to hear the news of the battle for his heart trembled for the safety of the ark of God. So he knew what he should be doing and wasn't doing it. He knew that the people had to repent, but he didn't have enough guts to do it. 
When the messenger arrived and told what had happened, an outcry resounded throughout the town. What is all the noise about? Eli asked. The messenger rushed over to Eli, and who was 98 years old and blind. He said to Eli, I've just come from the battlefield. I was there this very day. What happened, What happened, my son? Eli um, demanded. Israel has been defeated by the Philistines, the messengers replied. The people have been slaughtered and your two sons, Hophni and fin, um, Phinehas, have been, uh, also been killed and the ark of the God has been captured. When the messenger mentioned what happened to the ark of God, Eli fell backward off his seat beside the gate. He broke his neck and died. For he was old and overweight. Just plenty of detail there. Um, He had been Israel's judge for 40 years. Eli's daughter-in-law, the wife of Phinehas, and this is a bit I want you to remember, was pregnant and near her time of delivery. When she heard the the ark of God had been captured and that her father-in-law and husband were dead, she went into labor and gave birth. She died in childbirth, but before she passed away, the midwives tried to encourage her, don't be afraid. She said, you have a baby boy, but she did not answer or pay any attention to them. She named the child Ichabod, which means where is the glory? For she said, Israel's glory is gone. She named him because this because the ark of God had been captured and because her father-in-law and husband were dead. Then she said, the glory has departed from Israel for the ark of God has been captured. The whole reason the ark of God was captured was because they had disrespected God. God wasn't with them and for many years they disobeyed God of what they wanted to do. Now I want to read you this story. This is a true story that pastor tells about another church, probably from quite a while ago. I remember reading about a church where the power of God flowed in a wonderful stream of glory. The people enjoyed rich worship full of exuberance and joy. When they said, praise the Lord, that meant they meant it with all their hearts. Their words didn't resonate like a sounding brass or uh, clinging cymbal. We hear so much in Christian churches today. They sang songs with meaning. And the Spirit of God moved so powerfully during the song services that people often got up on their own without an altar call and walked to the altar to pray. When the old silverhead pastor finally stood to preach, no one noticed that his voice was almost gone from years of heartfelt, spirit-inspired preaching. He preached with depth and a rich sense of the grace of God, strengthened by the certainty that there were intercessors and prayer warriors praying for him and for those in need. These praying men and women knew how to touch God. They had spent much of the week secreted away in prayer. Uh, prayer closets or bedrooms, praying and interceding. Oh God, when our pastor stands to minister, let the anointing be on him. Let your power be there to draw people to you. They, were, they weren't interested in being uh, elevated by others. Neither did they want to see, uh, be seen or heard by uh, appreciative audiences. Their greatest joy and the source of their fulfillment came when they got alone with God and prayed fervently until God saved souls. When the old pastor decided to retire, the history of the church was forever changed. Little did the people understand that not only was the ministry of their beloved pastor ending, but the vitality of the church was also coming to an end. Over the years, they had known the depths of rich anointing and outpouring of the Holy Ghost. Solid Bible preaching and godly leadership had um, embedded a strong foundation in most members of the congregation, drawing them 
uh, ever closer to the Lord and His will. Unfortunately, this was not true of all members of the congregation. The individuals on the pulpit committee felt that certain changes needed to be made. When they began their search for a new pastor, they all agreed to look for a very young man. They also agreed that it was time to do away with some of the emotionalism in worship, especially the, um, the groaning and travailing of the intercessors. The committee had no difficulty finding a preacher who met their qualifications. Sadly, they never bothered to ask God what his qualifications might be. The candidate chosen by the pulpit committee perfectly matched their list of qualifications. When he preached, there was little of the irritating emotionalism they had so wanted to avoid, and the congregation seemed amazingly docile. The committee found the piece quite refreshing. One irritation did remain, however. The former pastor's most faithful and elderly intercessor continued to rise from her pew at the end of the service and kneel down on the carpet at the same two worn spots where her fragile knees had knelt for so many decades to plead for souls of the lost. The new pastor was quite uncomfortable with the intercession of this elderly saint. Indeed, the altar call when this godly woman began to intercede uh, before God and publicly travail, My God, uh, send us revival. My God, give us souls this morning. Don't let souls leave here and go to hell was the most difficult part of his duties. So disturbed was the new pastor that he was strongly considering um, discarding this politically incorrect and somewhat primitive religious ritual from the order of service. He felt that there was something spooky about it all. The former pastor, on the other hand, um, had looked forward to this dear saint's prayer, knowing that it poured from the heart of God. It was a spirit of God praying and travailing through this godly woman. Unfortunately, no one in the Bible college had ever covered these subjects with the new pastor of the church. The young pastor endured this public spectacle for almost six months. But one Sunday morning, after he had finished this ser his sermon, he, looked, uh, he took action. As usual, the dear old sister was down on her knees, travailing. So lost was she in intercession that she didn't even realize that the pastor had ended his sermon without giving an altar call. Oh God, oh God, she cried, her little wrinkled face wet with tears. The young pastor tapped the elderly intercessor on the shoulder and said, Honey, there won't be any more need for that. We don't want that in this church because it hinders newcomers from coming. They just don't understand it. The pastor didn't know it, but by his ignorant actions that day, he placed an ancient Hebrew name, Ichabod, over the front door of the church. This means the glory of the Lord has departed. I read that in the book, and I just felt, I don't know why, but I felt a stirring. And, I'm not, and it wasn't about our church or anything like that, but it's a stirring. I believe that God... There's a stirring that God is doing in our hearts to never, ever, um, don't ever, like, the, like Eli disrespected the presence of God. There's like God wants us to even more so respect his presence, which that's awe. That every time we're in worship, that it's not just, a, we're not just doing it because we're here. It's an encounter with God. That God wants to do much more than we're seeing. And there's like, there's like a call of God's heart to saying, I'm here. It doesn't matter what it looks like. It doesn't matter what people are doing. But he said, if you want the glory, if you want God, 
He said, I, I want to come in great power. And sometimes it's like it's going to look different. And sometimes it's not going to be comfortable. And sometimes some things are going to happen. And you're going to go, I don't understand that. But the thing was with that pastor, he was more worried about what people thought than what God thought. I was reminded how important it is that we respect and never try to control the presence of God, that we're ready for what God wants to do. Because, you know, when God moves in power it, it, in our nation to shake our nation, it's, it's not going to, stuff's going to happen that isn't going to, we've never seen before. Just bring change, it's going to, stuff's going to happen and, it's going to, and some of it's going to probably be weird and some of it's going to be uncomfortable, but it's going to be God. It's going to be God. He's going to do things and he's going to come up in a supernatural way because it's not meant to be natural, it's meant to be supernatural. When we want to control things, that's the moment that religion starts to creep in. The moment we want to say that should be like this or that should be this way or we should, we should, this should be done this way and this sort of thing. The moment we try and take control, it's like we can, we've got to be careful that we're not stepping into putting God in a box or getting into a religious mindset of oh, a formula of how God is going to do something. I want to read some scriptures to you before we finish. In James 4, 7, it says, So humble yourselves before God, resist the devil, and he will flee. To, to get rid of the devil out of your life, to get rid of his influence out of your life, all you need to do is humble yourself before God. Humble yourself before God. In other words, God, I give you control. God, I submit my life to you. Do what you want to do and the enemy cannot touch you. James 4.10, humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up in honor. Matthew 6.33, so above all, constantly chase after the realm of God's kingdom and the righteousness that proceeds from him. Then all these less important things will be given to you abundantly. Psalm 9.10, may... Everyone who knows your mercy keep putting their trust in you, for they can count on you for help no matter what. O oh Lord, you'll never, never neglect those who come to you. Proverbs 3, 5 and 6. Trust in the Lord completely and do not rely on your own opinions. With all your heart, rely on Him to guide you and He will lead you into every decision you make. Become intimate with Him in whatever you do and He will lead you wherever you go. We have so often, without realizing it, put or put God in a box in our lives and made Him into a formula. Maybe you're sitting there tonight thinking, "There's some things in my life that maybe I've done that I've kind of maybe put God into a formula in some way." And how, so, how would you know? This is to help. How would you know that maybe God is put into a box? One, one way is to know that I want to be in control, that you want to be in control of things, that you want this to happen at this time and that time and, and do it done this way. And if it doesn't happen that way, well, you know, I don't really, I don't, that doesn't sort of sit with me really well. And so if we want to have control all the time, it can be a sign that, hey, are you putting God into a box or into a formula? We organize the things of God to fit into our own time and not His. We read the Bible when it fits into our schedule. We pray when it fits into our schedule. We come to church or attend a life group when it fits into our schedule. And that may be challenging for you to hear. But if we really want to see God move, it can't stay the same. Because it'll, our nation, we've stayed the same for too long. And our nation isn't going the right way. And our nation is, there's thing, the enemy is ripping our nation apart. From the youngest to the oldest. It's bringing laws and things that are attacking the young and the old and, 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 and the devil's trying to, and the only thing's going to stop it is the church rising up and people rising up in prayer 
and shutting the enemy down. When the enemy sees that someone walks in with authority, he has to stop. He has to flee. And God's saying, church, get up. Get up. Come on, don't stand back. Fight. And it's, it's not a natural fight. It's a spiritual fight. The fight's in prayer. The, fright's, the fight is in you getting alone with God and seeking God and letting Him flow through your life. And when we come together on Sunday, when we're doing that individually, the power of God will just boom. It'll just release. It'll just, and then people and God will just flood this place with people because our capacity is ready to handle it. God doesn't mind us being uncomfortable. In relation to God, way into His ways, what is uncomfortable for us is comfortable for God. Jesus did many things that even today would make many of us. Un- if Jesus come and did some of those things today that He probably prayed for, we'd even feel like, "Whoa, what are you doing? That's a bit out there." We'd feel uncomfortable, but it was what God did. If we want God to shake our nation, then we have to be we have to allow God to shake us first. If you want God to shake your workplace, your school, wherever it may be, you need God, allow God to shake you first. If we want our nation to change, then we have to be willing to change. Our prayer needs to be, God, change me. God, forgive me. God, renew me. When we're in control, when we're in control, we give ourselves what we want. But when God is in control, He gives us what we need. You'll always, when if you're in control, you always put yourself first. You'll always want, I'll make sure I'm okay. But when God is in control, God will give you what you need, not what you want. And as we come to pray tonight, this is what I feel, this is the picture I see. That when God, it's like I saw God grabbing people and shaking them. And it's like when you're panning for gold and you've, got, and you've got a pan of gold and you know there's some in there and there's a whole lot of rocks and dirt above it and you see them, if you've ever panned for gold, you circle a pan and you get all the big rocks come off and the dirt sort of comes off bit by bit and, and the weight and the gold's heavier so it goes to the bottom of the, of the pan and so all the, all the dirt just keeps getting shaken off and, I just, and, but, and then bit by bit all the stuff, the worthless dirt and the worthless rocks gets washed away, washed away, washed away and finally just the gold remains. And so what I see tonight is there's people in this place that God just wants to wash away the dirt. He wants to wash away the rocks. You see, they're worthless. You're carrying stuff that's worthless. You're trying, to live, you're trying to live for things that are worthless. They're not real treasure. They're not my treasure. They're not kingdom treasure. And he, but he said, there's gold. There's gold inside of you. There's gold under there. And he said, I'm going to wash away the dirt. And so the gold comes to the surface. So I want to show you the gold. There's things inside your life you don't even know is there. The gold's there. And it's buried deep down. And all the dirt's covering it. And the rocks are covering it. And you can't see it. But God said, I'm going to wash it away. And I'm going to, I'm going to just reveal the gold in your life. Reveal the gold in your life. Thank you for joining us. The Bayside Christian Church community aims to transform our city and beyond with the life and power of Jesus Christ. If you want to know more or just keep in touch, check us out at www.baysidechristianchurch.com.au or follow us on our social media sites at Bayside Christian Church.